Welcome to the Crazy Ike Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Teddy. No matter where you are, thanks for making this part of your day. Thanks for taking a listen. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm glad to be back at it this week. I was really going to record an episode. Uh, I had planned on recording this episode probably over the last week. And then I kind of got caught up with some work stuff, some family stuff. So I was going to record a couple days ago. And then I was like, wait a second. We got a game coming up after Thursday. We got a game coming up Thursday. Maybe I'll just record, you know, Thursday night or Friday morning. Simply because it's just why I put out an episode uh, just a couple days ago when I can. We have some action we could talk about today. Uh, very exciting stuff. The season's back underway after this uh, World Cup break. Um, I have to say that, uh, you know, <laughs> everything about this feels abnormal from watching a World Cup in cold weather to it being in the middle of the season or whatnot. And now it even feels weird because it's like, you know, normally you have this excitement behind the World Cup. You kind of get World Cup fever or football fever, what have you. And then it, it they have a, they still have like a nice month sometimes, maybe a month and a half before the season gets underway, especially in Greece. Uh, so it's kind of like, Okay, here we are. The World Cup final hasn't even happened yet, and we're already underway with a uh, 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 cup matches. You know, it, it's. Um, I have to say that that's the only part about this that I've really enjoyed was like you know, watching the World Cup, really just soaking in all the football, and then right away, bam! Today we have Ike playing again in the cup against Kyrgyzstan. But I'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, Want to start off by um, just talking about a couple of things, giving some tributes out to uh, two people that um, passed away over the, the last few days. One of them's Greek football related. The other one is not so much Greek football, but I still want to talk about it. Um, sad news coming out of Greece Tuesdays that uh, Yanis Yanis, the longtime voice of Greek football for a very long time, especially when it comes to like not just Greek football. He voiced um, Olympics. He called Olympics, uh, track and field, and then um, also was the voice of you know four World Cups in Greece. Uh, like I said, he was part of four Olympics. Um, just a voice that anyone I think my age, maybe a little bit younger, uh, <coughs> spans generations, you know, uh, such a vibrant voice. He called games very well. It's such a notable voice, too. Um, I'm going to try to imitate it a little bit. I know it's not going to sound probably anything like I'm going to think it's going to sound like, but here goes nothing. You know, he he had this distinct voice where he ro- he rolled with some names, you know, like uh Roberto Baggio, Penny Dybala, or Frank Tebur, Pasari Dybala, Ston, Edgar Davids, or Davids, or Pera Psachniton, Dennis Bergkamp. You know, I don't know why I went full Holland there, full Dutch football with, uh, uh, I just love the way he used to say Frank Tebur, or Frank Tebur, it, it, you know, such an iconic voice, man, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could be. Um, I want to say it was like in the late 90s, early 2000s, where he, um, FIFA in Greece, the video game, (coughs) excuse me guys, came out with a 
PlayStation edition or a, a video game edition where he was actually uh, one of the announcers in, in the video game. I actually bought this video game. I played it while I was in Greece one summer and I bought the video game hoping that I could get it to work here in the States. Obviously, that was a no-go. But such a treasure in, in, in Greek sports in general and in, in Greek fo- in football. Uh, just memories of mostly what I remember is uh, Euro 96, him calling a lot of the games, and then the, um, I think his last World Cup he did was the 98 World Cup. Um, you know, uh, just uh, his, his voice is going to live on forever in the memories and... Now, you know, I was just watching some YouTube videos just a little while ago and just to kind of get a feel of, of him a little bit more. Because like I said, I I remember him a little bit, but not as much as maybe some, some of you older guys out there. Um, so, you know, may, may his memory be eternal. And, uh, you know, he was just, uh, just one of those iconic voices. If, you know, you're Greek-American, the one thing you can compare it to, honestly, is, is like a John Madden. Someone that just had that very distinct voice. Um, um, <coughs> sorry, guys. I don't know what's going on with this coughing spell. Um, the other thing I wanted to get to is um, the passing of, a, of an American journalist, Grant Wall. And I know in my last episode, I kind of S-talked uh, U.S. football or more so U.S. football fans. Grant Wall was one of those people that um, I have to say that when it came to the United States men's national team, I didn't agree with a lot of the stuff that he said. But as a journalist, I did like to read some of his stuff. He worked for SI. Yeah, I know. remember last World Cup, I think NBC here in the States did the coverage that he was actually a part of every night. Uh, he would get together with the was an Argentinian uh, journalist, and they would talk about the events of the day. Um, but it just, you know, some people, man, whether it's in media, acting, what have you, uh, in the entertainment world, media, some people come off so genuine, I think, that he was one of those people. And now that this past week that he tragically passed away, and actually at the World Cup, uh, during the Argentina-Netherlands match, um, it, starting to hear all these stories of journalists that he dealt with and uh, just footballers and just people in the media in general, it, it, he didn't put on a show. You know, you hear these stories about some famous people where it's like, oh my gosh, they look so jolly on TV or they, they seem like such nice people, but they're actually like dirtbags in real life if you ever get to meet them and talk to them. Um, or they're not approachable. I shouldn't say dirtbags. That's wrong word to say there. But Grant Wall was one of those people as nice as he appeared on television and uh, through, I, I listened to a couple of episodes of his podcast. Like I said, I wasn't a big fan of some of his work, but, um, he just came off as genuinely just like a really, really nice person. And it's, it's so ironic guys that, Literally almost 24 hours before the message came through my my phone, I was sitting there watching the last couple of episodes of this uh, documentary series on um, Amazon that Amazon did called Good Rivals, where they talked about the rivalry between the United States and Mexico, that international rivalry. And he was a part of it, and he talked a lot about, about it. Um, this guy, I mean, left to c- 
covering basketball and everybody thought he was one of these crazy people, just a, a far lunatic, like they just considered it lunacy that he would leave a prime sport considered here in America basketball to go cover, <laughs> to use the phrase, soccer. Because, you know, 20 years ago, today, today it, you wouldn't even think about it, but 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, uh, football, soccer as we know it here in the States, it was not as big as it is now. Now it's, I've talked about this before, you get, they cover it so much, there's millions of dollars thrown out there to cover the sport. Uh, I think Fox or whatever news channel is going to have the next two or three World Cups, whatever network's going to have it. I forget how many billions of dollars they paid to be able to cover it. That wasn't the case years ago. Years ago, uh, down the list of sports in the States, if you look at when, when Grant Wall first entered journalism and then decided to to have his focus to be a, a soccer journalist, um, that didn't exist, man. It was like non-existent compared to what it is now. He was able to see, to have the foresight, foresight as many, as a lot of people didn't in journalism uh, here in the States and on radio and then talking heads in sports, they didn't have the foresight to see how big soccer was going to become, right? Because I can tell you another talking head here in the States that's very popular, Colin Cowherd. And I listened to this guy back when he used to, he was at Fox now, but he used to work for ESPN. And it was a very convenient time for me to listen to him because it was on my drive when I used to work out of town from where I live. And I used to have like a two hour commute every day. Um, he used to bag on people that that that, that watched and and played soccer and um, the way he used to talk about it, and he even admits today, like you know, it really shocked him how much the sport grew. Um, but so many people were wrong on this. Grant Wall saw the saw the future of what soccer football, as we call it in Europe was going to become here in the States and good for him. And, you know, someone once asked him, why would you do that? Why would you leave basketball, which is such a big sport here in the States to cover football, especially you have to think, I mean, I think he graduated from Stanford. If I heard correctly, either 96 or 98, you know, you're talking about the hype of the bulls. You're talking about, this was a a great time when basketball was becoming very, very international, very popular. The NBA was becoming very popular. Even college basketball was becoming very popular, even overseas. Um, someone asked him, they're like, well, and he said it, he said it. He's like, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, guys, so I apologize. I'm not going to copy this word for word. But he said that soccer, football, can give him so many different storylines to write about. He's like, I can write about all these rivalries that exist in Europe. I can write about, you know, there's so many, the, the stories are unending that I could take with football. Whereas with basketball, there's only a few topics that'll really get get traction. You know, um, very sad, 48 years old, man. I mean, and, and for me, you know, I don't want to make this personal, but uh, y- yesterday when I was I was leaving the house to, 
run some errands and uh, I glanced down at my phone and I saw the message where it said that um, his wife had come out with his, uh, the cause of death, the coroner had come out with the cause of death and his wife had made it public. It said that he had an uh, aortic aneurysm. Uh, when I first started this podcast, if you guys remember, I remembered if those of you that have been w- with me from the beginning in the long haul here, the past few months, I talked about, you know, not feeling well, not feeling up to it sometimes, feeling kind of sick. Um, full disclosure, it hit home with, with me when I saw that message because I have an underlying heart condition. Everything's fine with me, thank God. Um, but they did discover that I had uh, forming in my aorta kind of an in, in aneurysm. And it's something that over time now is going to be monitored. Obviously, like I just, you know, mean I'm automatically just messages to my wife. I took a screenshot of it and sent it to her. And she was like, oh my God, she's like, this is crazy. There's a very low mortality rate with, um, or, you know, with, um, with having an an aortic aneurysm, like you, you basically have two minutes, unless you're in a hospital, unfortunately you're, you're going to die. Um, and I'm not trying to, I don't want a pity party. I don't, I just, I just want to explain to you guys that this really hit home so young, uh, a rising star as a journal journalist, very well respected as a journalist. I mean, reading stuff from other journalists from around the world that came out just, uh, you know, and you don't always have to agree with journalists. That's the, that's the thing that I can't stand about some fans where they're like, Oh, this guy said this, this, and this, and this guy says this, this, and this, everyone's going to have their own take on it. I mean, I'm sure you guys that are out there listening to me now don't agree with a hundred percent of what I say. Um, and that's okay. You know, that's, it's, it's part of the fun of, of, of sports. Um, but RIP to, to Grant Wall, may his memory be eternal, uh, a rising star, a person that's going to leave a, a short legacy gone way too soon. Just wanted to take a few minutes and talk about those two people, those massive people in the, that we lost both in the Greek journalist community. I mean, worldwide, they were both known worldwide. I mean, I was just watching an interview how to bring this back home and take us to Ike where uh, Diakoyani was talking about um, in an interview how he helped and he didn't want to take credit, but he said he helped Puskas, who was in the, you know, um, Hungarian, I think Hungarian descent, um, the old manager that took us all the way to the, uh, to the, what was then known as the UEFA Cup, now known as the Europa League semifinals back then when we um, had that crazy comeback with QPR and had that great team under Barlos where uh, we won, I forget how many championships and how many cups. Um, so, uh, just two massive losses over the week for, for journalism in general. Uh, not to say that I, uh, let me, iter- let me, uh, reiterate this. I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself part of that community. I don't consider myself a journalist. I consider myself just a fanboy here with a microphone trying to make a podcast about his beloved team, Mike. But let's move on from that, guys. We've got a lot to get to today. Um... So long list of injuries since the last time that I talked here, besides the ones we already know about, which is Zuber, Ilyason, Amrabat. Zuber and Amrabat, of course, are expected back at the beginning of the calendar year, hopefully. Even before that, there was talk um, through Athens the other day that hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe Amrabat and Zuber can be ready for the Volos match um, in a couple of weeks. That's on the 28th. 
of December. Um, it's going to cause a little bit of, of, of issues for Ike. Um, not so much, I think, with Lamia. With Lamia, we still have quality. And with Volos, we have quality, but enough quality to overcome these injuries. But I think with um, Volos, it could be a little bit more tricky. We know how well they've been playing this year. It could look a little bit different, you know, coming off of this break, how we're going to look. Today we looked good. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, it was against a, a Super League two or division two side today. <laughs> so Zavellas has suffered an injury. Um, not sure. I should have done a little bit better homework before I came on the microphone here. How long some of these newer injuries are going to be out or what exactly is going on. Just stuff that I've heard. <coughs> and then I also want to address some of these other rumors. Um, <clears throat> so Gacinovic has basically a, um, uh, gosh, I don't want to say stomach issue, an ab issue similar to Amnabat, but he's, or not Amnabat, uh, Zuber, but he's not considering surgery yet, just trying to do therapy to get himself back in line. He was injured for, I would say, the majority of the part of the, the little <clears throat> mini training they did during the World Cup in, uh, in the Netherlands. Um, so hopefully... You know, reports from how bad it is are varying right now. I'm assuming since he hasn't, because like we saw with Steven Zubed, how he forewent going to the World Cup. Uh, it's about a, anywhere from four to six weeks recovery after surgery. So I think that, you know, if it was serious enough to where they would say, okay, go ahead and have surgery. I think they would go ahead and he would have had surgery a couple of weeks, like a week and a half ago. That way, again, all these guys could come back, hopefully around the same time. Um, Muhammadi's injury tends to be a little bit more. Unfortunately, he suffered an injury in his last game in the World Cup as Iran lost to the United States. It's a little bit worse. Um, I want to say it's like an ankle injury. Uh, his timeline is pretty... Probably we're looking more towards him and Elias when coming back together. Again, this brings up the question of the left back position. I've talked about this at nauseum probably since the beginning of this podcast and even before reports started coming out in Greece that I felt like that was a position that um, Ike really should have looked at to make some type of move. During the, the summer transfer window, I felt like that was a move where we needed a player but Muhammadi stepped up. Muhammadi really, really stepped into that role, uh, shook off whatever he was having with last year, and he, he was having a good, solid season. And it sucks to see it like end, end. Not that I mean, not that the season is lost, but to see him get such a critical injury at such a critical time. Um, right now, the talk is um, that maybe Hadi Safi is going to step into that role, or. CDB has played multiple games, um, I think over 60 games in his career as a left back. He can play both sides. So maybe he can step into that role. Maybe he's ready now after this mini training. Um, we're going to see what Almeida decides to do. Um, not to not to push forward to the Gifisai game, but CDB did get the start of left back. I think that's why to kind of... Maybe for him to get reacclimated to that role, get him a game underneath there. Of course, again, with Kifisa being the fact that it was a Division Two team, 
or a team from the second division. Um, I don't know what he's going to do when when the Super League starts back up and it starts back up uh, the 21st, which is less than a week away, next Wednesday against La Mia at home. So we're going to have to figure these things out during the week. Um, I'm hoping to maybe come out with another podcast previewing that game. Uh, I might try to do it like Sunday, Monday, or probably more likely Monday. Um, maybe I'll do a short one to kind of talk about what I think and what, what, what's been in the, the news the past few, the next few days come, leading up to the Lamia match to see which way um, Almeida is leaning to go. Um, so let's talk about some rumors. A lot of names thrown out there. I'm not really listening to a lot of this transfer rumor jazz until it becomes, until January 1st hits. Uh, another thing to keep in mind with January 1st, now that I said that, the first of the year, that that's when uh, Pablo Fernandez is going to be available. Um, so we're going to have to go two league games without him, unfortunately. And to have all these uh, injuries piling up in that certain position where we could really use him. But again, we have the quality, I feel like, to overcome that. But aside from like the normal transfer rumors, you know, left back, what have you, let me say a few things on that before I, I go into some of the other rumors that um, unless there's a kind of a player that's going to be ready, which is going to be very hard to find in the middle of the season, the, Jan- the January transfer window is more so not for you to find that diamond in the rough that's going to make a difference, let's say at a certain position. But it's kind of like if injuries are piling up to get kind of like a backup or to like a roster filler or to kind of maybe move move players on that you don't uh, you don't see fitting well in the team. Um, it's not uh, a transfer window where I believe that you can go out and let's say I mean it can happen. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you guys to like kill me if it starts um if I get it completely wrong and we get like this great our left back of the future um in this transfer window. I mean it can happen, but most of the time it's um it um it won't be in the, in this window. So it'll be very hard to find somebody. I really think unless we get lucky, I think the team's gonna continue with just for the time being with kind of bandage that position between Haji Safin and Sidibe and then um in the summertime, look to kind of um, find the left back of the future, per se. Um, You know, but let's wait and see what happens. Um, In the other rumor talks, you know, there's been a lot of rumors about the Mexican national team now that they they really had a disappointing look at the World Cup outcome, not even making it. I mean, listen, because I know a lot of Mexican soccer fans here, or Mexican football fans, I apologize, here in America, uh, and I talked to them often, and I was texting some of my friends about how they thought, and I actually got a friend of mine on the phone to talk to him about, you know, what his thoughts were on how Mexico did in this tournament. Obviously, per their standards, they did terrible. They were expecting not only to just reach the knockout phase, but which they had done since the 1986 World Cup and on, they uh, were expecting quarterfinals at least are bust so anyway my point is that unless you guys have not seen this yet um 
they want to make the Mexican national team wants to make an offer to Almeida, and some of my friends in Greece are freaking out. What do you think about this? Do you think it's serious? I've had you know various different messages coming in from Greece, like you know a little bit more about North American football than we know. Like what you know, dinomizis galaftapuyinunde um, I think it can be serious. I think uh, Almeida is very well respected in this part of the world. But for me personally, the way I'm looking at Almeida is I think he's one of those people that wants to take his managerial career to the next level. You know, I mean, you guys look at when you think international managers, you think of two types of managers, either managers that have fizzled out and failed, not really failed at the club level or or just not club level managers. Like for me, for instance, the England manager, Gareth Southgate, I think he's perfect for the England job. I don't think he would be a good fit to be a club football manager. Um, so you either see managers at the, the beginning, the very beginning of their careers, kind of moving through the ranks of managing a, a, a national team. Or it's at the tail ends. Think Fernando Santos. Uh, right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone else. But that's the one guy that keeps popping into my head. Like, I think Fernando Santos, you know, is, is done with, I feel like, coaching or managing club teams, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I there's, there is, yes, a certain sense of prestige to, you know, like you look at now Didier Deschamps. That uh, Deschamps, however you pronounce it, in France. I mean, he could go down as po- probably like one of the. They're probably going to end up building him a statue in France if he wins this World Cup on Sunday. Because you got to think about it. He was the French captain. He was the captain when they won the World Cup. And now if he wins two back to back World Cups as a manager, yes, his style of play is not what you expected. But look, I mean, look at Brazil. Look at the way they play and how they've always fizzled out the past few years. Yeah, you can play beautiful football, but unfortunately, you know, we romanticize about the World Cup. We romanticize about our our thoughts about these tournaments because those goals mean so much. But at the same time, sometimes the football is not... It's not great quality. And even this final, I mean, it it could be a final. It's going to be, you know kind of nuts like even if there's three goals in this final I think you know if someone wins two to one it's going to be uh, um, it's going to be very entertaining very just like the storylines behind it Mbappe versus Messi blah 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 what have you there is that side of managing international football but all of us that know about football say like that's the People don't want to manage uh, international football. That's where I'm trying to get out with this. Um, I don't think, for me, that would be a step back for Almeida. Almeida, as much as he says he wants to stay here for years for Ike, and I wish that were true, and I wish like we could give him a lifetime contract, whatever, like the first six months, yes, two big thumbs up. If we keep playing this style of football, even if we're losing certain games, like it just the way he's taken this team from how bad it was, the, how much he uplifted the entire organization as Ike, both the fan base, the team itself, every, all the work this guy has put in 
I mean, I, I think he's going to be something special when he moves on from Mike. And that's what I think is going to happen. If we can hopefully break into Europe next season, uh, maybe he gets us a, a title, you know, some type of silverware this year. And we break into Europe, maybe make a little bit of noise in Europe next year, which I think is totally possible. Um, then I think he's going to move on and take a bigger job. Someone's going to come out and be like, hey, this guy, you know, he's done this, this, and this. It's different doing it over here in the Atlantic. Not to demean the Mexican League, because I think the Mexican League is is miles ahead of the Greek League. We can see that from just Pineda. You know, and Pineda can't even get, can't even get a sniff right now in playing in La Liga. Um, and we, we all, we, I've always talked about how great Pineda was from day one. Um, how great the Mexican League is compared to the to the Greek Super League. At the same time, we've um, like Europe is the pinnacle of 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 uh, world club football. Not to demean, I personally love both certain North American leagues like Liga Mexa. I'm not a big MLS guy. Surprise, surprise. Uh, I love watching Argentinian football, South American football, I think. Some of those teams, it'd be nice to kind of, besides the the club World Cup that happens, you know, every year, I would love to get more of those teams together to play each other. Maybe they should create some other type of tournament. Um, or a bigger, like, yeah, that would be cool. Like a big, like, World Cup, World Club tournament. That would be fun to watch, I think. You know, if they did it once every, like, an off year between the World Cup and, let's say, the Euros and whatnot. Anyway. Um, but, no, I don't think Almeida is going to Mexico. There were some talks that Pineda maybe might be heading back to Mexico, that there were some teams that were offering uh, crazy money to um I don't think that's happening simply because, I mean, he had an opportunity to go back to Mexico during the summertime. If he wanted to go back to Mexico, he could have easily done it in the summertime. I think he wants to stay in Europe. He wants to prove himself in into Europe. He had a good showing in the last game. He was one of Mexico's best players. Uh, he was a little unlucky with that strike that I talked about in the last podcast in the last Mexico game. Um, but yeah, so I don't think there's some validity to those rumors. I don't think that, uh, you know, I would be shocked and floored if Almeida just put all this work in and just said, you know what? Peace out. I'm going to go. You, Ike and the Mexican Federation can figure this out figure out some type of buyout, I'm going to coach the national team of Mexico. I really don't see that. If this was like at the tail end of Ike, let's say he'd been here three years and he had had kind of like a, uh, like a, like a downturn, kind of like Martins had early back then I would kind of give this story more, more ground. But right now I really don't see that happening with him. But let me move on here because we still got some stuff we got to get through. So Ike played Giffy Saturday. today. 2-0. The game was played in Zupoli because the Gifisa's home stadium, um, they've actually been playing games, if you guys are are familiar with Athens geography. So Gifisa is like a northern Vodia, Prastia area. I'm really familiar with the area because my, my sister lives in kind of the Marusi area. Marusi slash, slash Milisa. Um, so I'm kind of a little more familiar with Gifisa. Uh, they've been playing their home games at Kitsavigani, which is kind of like on the other side of Athens, really. 
Um, and this game was actually played. It was a Kifisa home game. So Kifisa was the home team in uh, Rizupoli, Apollona Stadium, which is right. Apollona Athenon, or whatever they're called now. Apollona Zminis, I'm sorry. Which is right there in, uh, right, literally right next to Net Philadelphia. Um, little side note. Back in the day, Apollon Ike was actually, I wouldn't call it a, a derby, but it, it was when Apollon had a few good teams. Um, Apollon Ike was kind of like a, like a local, local derby there. Um, you know, of course, Apollon has been kind of a yo-yo club the past few years and was out of the Super League for a long time for really that, uh, that rivalry the past few years to really take, take roots again. Um, but it was played there because Kifisa Stadium is under construction or some type of remodel. It was just not not in the best condition to for them to even play this season. With all that being said, Kifisa has actually been the most impressive team in Super League 2. They are the favorites right now as things stand to move up. They've really put together a, a well-organized, very uh, nice, balanced club. And they showed it today, honestly. They... They went into this game with no fear. In the first few minutes, if they had a little bit better finishing, I mean, they could have even went up 1-0 at one point. Um, but for IQ, you can kind of tell, like, the players were, obviously, they were taking it seriously. They were they were playing. It was a very hard-fought game for, for a, a Greek Cup game, especially a two-legged affair where, you know, you know that, like, you have kind of, as the bigger club, when it's two legs, you kind of have that, in the back of your mind, you're like, all I need to do is score goals. So I feel like that's what I did. They they, they pushed up. They really, you know, that that Almeida pressing style really got after the ball, really got after uh, Gifisad defenders to force mistakes. And we created chance after chance, but then Gifisad countered pretty well. Um, like I said, they had an opportunity to open the scoring. Um, if they were a little, had a little bit more better quality, a little more patient, I feel like up front, they, if it was any other team, honestly, they would have opened up the scoring. Um, I know some fans that I chatted with earlier today were kind of a little concerned. You know, you saw Panathinaikos steamroll. Uh, and I didn't watch any of that game. Panathinaikos steamroll. Uh, no, it wasn't Atromita. That's all Yubakos played. Uh, it wasn't Volos. It was uh, It was a Super League side. I want Maybe Yanina. I don't remember, guys. Um Honestly, it was some Super League side where I was really surprised where Panathinaikos were able to win that comfortably 3-0. And they played uh, pretty well from what people said. Um, I was able to catch some of the Olympiacos match. Um, you know, a lot of changes in these lineups, just like Ike. Uh, Olympiacos were able to win comfortably 4-1, which actually wasn't that comfortable. I mean, in that game, the little bit that I saw... Uh, Yes, Olympiacos missed some good chances early, but uh, Atromitos also had some great chances. And really, it really should have at least been level level at halftime. Um, actually, I think maybe it was. Maybe it was 1-1. Maybe at the start of the second half, Olympiacos was up 2-1. So really, I mean, Atromitos should have had the lead in, at halftime. Anyway... But, uh, so, you know, seeing those results, sometimes Ike fans get a little antsy and they're like, oh, I'm just going to me then, da 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 But, it, you know, it was one of those wins where it was something that was expected. You you won 2-0. There's no way coming back to Philadelphia in about a month or so, in a little over a month, or a little under a month, actually. 
Um, I think the return leg is January 10th, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. Uh, in Philadelphia, you're not going to lose 3-0 to Tiki Fisha. I mean, honestly, that's, you know, if they would have been able to pull a result like a 1-1 today or, you know, a 2-1 win, then I could say, okay, we could start getting a little nervous, which I, and I think I've said this before with the Greek Cup, I really wish up until at least the semifinals, if not even the semifinals, I think up to the final, uh, these should be one-legged affairs. I feel like that really, you know, that puts more pressure. That would have put more pressure on Ike. That would have put, you know, if, let's say, if that was the case and if I was able to grab that early lead, that would have set alarm bells off. That's how upsets happen um, in cup matches. So, for me, the fact that it was two-legged, I wasn't too worried about it. And honestly, like, there's not much for me to say about this game um, <coughs> besides two things. Levy Garcia scored a heck of a goal if you see it. Let me say this in Greek. Itanekatis on Centra Sut, where it looked like he was crossing the ball and there was a... <coughs> Van, <coughs> excuse me, guys. Van Wirt and Mandalos were... Looked like they were going to the box at that time and looked like they were going to get on the end of one of those crosses. It looked like it was crossing the ball. Like he was crossing the ball, but it, it actually went in. I think maybe with his... This guy's showing off like a little bit of his technical ability where it just, you know, kind of sailed in. Um, beautiful goal if you haven't caught it yet. The second goal was an absolute penalty for me. It was a penalty. You know, I know Kifishab players went crazy. By the way, no VAR. I think VAR comes into play uh, starting the semifinals in Greece. Um, so no VAR to recheck that. But it, I mean... I would say I would not say it was a soft penalty. It was the defender just needed to not like he started to tackle and he got the ball. And what I know it's kind of hard to say this as a defender because it's one of the positions that long time ago when I used to play football, you start to make that tackling motion, and it's kind of hard for you to kind of pull your legs back up and it just hit Araujo's Araujo's legs. I mean, it was clear cut penalty. Uh, Araujo appeared to be a little injured at that time and uh, a little concerning. So I don't know if because maybe the injury came into play, but Tom Van Witt stepped up, stepped up to the spot and converted the penalty. I thought it was nice. It was very good for Ike to get from their clot from what, what now is, you know, we have to call, um, Levy Garcia, classic forward, because that's the position that Almeida wants him to play, to get both of those, get both of your center forward, forwards a goal is, is a good thing. You know, we know that goals for strikers build confidence. Um, Tom Van Wint especially was his first goal with Ike. And they really showed their quality up front. So even though we're missing, you know, Gatsinovic, Zuber, Amrabat, Ilyason, even though these players are all missing, we still can make up quality. Now, we don't know what the formation is going to look like come La Mia. Um, for, to me, it looked like more in that winger role, uh, Garcia, like where he traditionally played before, in that right wing role. Uh, some people said that maybe we're going to see... Um, 
uh, when Pablo Fernandez comes back for a couple of games, maybe have him in that role, maybe have him, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to have to wait and see what Almeida's thinking as far as La Mia's concerned. Um, but everyone had a, a pretty good showing today. I really liked the CDB, some of the guys from Ike Vita that came up, got a chance to get into the game late after, you know, the result was pretty much done and over with. Um, CD Bay looked good in that, uh, as I was saying, in the left back position. Um, looks like he can handle himself there. Uh, it was funny, though. I know I always talk about this player. Franson got the start today. Um, you, you know, all things aside, and I know I said this last time I talked about this player, but, you know, to come to the team in the January transfer window last year and to have all this talk around you that you you know, you were kind of this player that, that's come in that we didn't really want or need. Um, we needed a we needed a midfielder, but it was kind of like a last minute buy because the fan base was just exploding that, oh my gosh, the January transfer window is over and you didn't make a transfer. And then the last day of the transfer window, we get this guy in who came in like heavy, um, did not play at all. You know, he was supposed to be not a difference maker, but someone that was going to be able to help the club. Um, and to to win the approval of Almeida, of all people, and be able to get a start. I know it's in a, it's in a cup game, but to be able to get into a start and also get into some league games and to trim down and to, from what I hear, his professionalism... I mean, my hat, I tip my hat to this guy, you know, even though I, I joke that there was a Franson sighting um, sometimes. Uh, you got to tip your hat off to the guy. Um, Kifusa did play tough. Like I said, they, you know, you could tell they had nothing to lose to begin with. Um, just they were out quality. I mean, the quality in football, like I said, if they had a little bit of more luck, a little bit of better finishing, they could have taken the lead, but they, they didn't stop there. I mean, even after it was 1-0, they kept pushing. And even after it was 2-0, they kept pushing up, trying to hit Ike on the counter. Ike had a lot of opportunities to score um, a lot of uh, other goals. I did like this one. Um, uh, Mandelos had the ball outside of the box, and Van Witt kind of had his back to the defender. And they kind of played a 1-2, and... Um, I really like that. I like the fact that uh, Van Witt, and this is something that was talked about in the scouting report and people that followed him at Volos, we're talking about he's not only like a great scorer, he's also a great passer. And he's going to come into play a lot with, um, especially now the, at the restart, at the beginning of the calendar year where we're really going to need uh, him to step up in, the, in these other major absences that we have and especially I'm glad that you know he's familiar with Pablo Fernandez I cannot wait to see Pablo Fernandez in a, in a real match um didn't even get to see him that much in preseason I had a preseason match again and uh a friendly I shouldn't say preseason sorry a friendly against Ofi Friday that was uh not open to media or not open to the public I wish I could have gotten to see that to see um Fernandez in action but um, overall, it was just one of those expected matches, like one of those matches where you say, OK, I, I has to win. Like, there's no reason why we should, especially in the Almeida, I, nah, to put it in Greek, 
Kondrasti Kifisha. Um, like I said, things could change as far as the lineup is considered against Lamia next week. But it's so nice to have Ike football back, man. And it's so nice to be back on this podcast. I hope people didn't take me the wrong way when I said last week that I didn't have Odexi to talk about all that Epo stuff. Um, saying it in those terms, I hope it didn't like offend anyone that I didn't mean like I was lazy, but I just, I, I was not, you know, this kind of brought me back in this kind of, this match kind of brought me back in. It's, it's time to focus on Ike. Now we got the world cup final this Sunday. And after that, back at the grind with Ike <coughs> to kind of get excited. And don't forget guys, in less than a month on January 8th, we're playing what could be marked as the game of the season against Panathinaikos uh, in Philadelphia this time. So very exciting times coming up. Uh, before I leave here, let me say a few words about Ike basketball. <sighs> Gosh. Um, I'm going to uh, read up a little bit more, and I know that, uh, you know, um, I want to see what's going to happen with with Ike um, basketball. There were stuff with some bands resurfacing and this and that. I don't know if, I get, you know, we've trusted I get up a little for a long time now. I keep trusting in him. I keep telling fans to trust him. I, I just don't know anymore. I don't know what's what's going to happen here. Um talking about it with some other fans they concurred with me in the sense that uh the whole basketball system is kind of pardon the my language bastardized from this whole euro league situation being a closed league that you know you guys know I've talked about this before that Ike doesn't have a ceiling in basketball you know yeah we can compete in the in the greek league but just like, you know, there's teams out there like Olympiacos, for example. The reason why they've been so good the past few years is because they keep getting and opening up their budget. They, they were in the Champions League in the group stage for so for so long. You keep getting that money. That was like, what, $20 million every year you're getting? It's the same thing with the... You can't... you Without having that injection of money, you can't run this basketball team as a business. And you can't run it also when, unfortunately, I mean, you know, and, and I'm not going to get dip in anyone's pockets or anything. Unfortunately, when the team is not supported the way it should, the basketball team, not bringing in crowds. But how do you bring in crowds? Like, if there's no point to the regular season, if I'm just going to go in uh, for Knoxville when we're playing really back close, when we're playing Panathinaikos, then what's what the freak is the point? You know, then people aren't going to show up when you're playing Prometheus or they're not going to show up when you're playing, um, uh, you know, whatever other team, uh, you know, even if you're playing Pauk or Adis or whatever, people are not going to show up because that it doesn't it doesn't matter. Um, we know we can't contend in, in, in the Greek league. It would take a miracle for us to win the league. Um, no matter how good the team gets. So it kind of puts you in a bad position. And that being said, um, Ike had a big win against, uh, oh, I forget the name of the team, Regina, whatever the team, the, the Italian team. 
where actually they were down the entire game. I didn't get to watch that game, but I kept getting alerts on my phone, and they were down the whole game, and I was like, okay, there goes our basketball Champions League season. We're going to lose our – it was going to be our second straight or third straight game that we're going to lose. And I was like, that's it. If we lose this game, that's it. Wrap a ball on it. The big thing that we're hopeful for, as far as like fans are concerned, in this season, it's going to be over with. This uh, the basketball Champions League is going to be over with. Like, what's the point in the season now? They had a big fourth quarter comeback. Um, I did go back and watch that fourth quarter. The team really played well in the fourth quarter, and then so this coming week, the twentieth. Or it actually might be the 21st, the same day as... Uh, I think it is the same day as the the football match against La Mia. Big, big game. Um, there are a lot of scenarios where we could go to the next round of the BCL. But the best scenario is for us to just come out and win uh, against Karsiaka uh, from Turkey. It'll be a home game. I encourage any do this to go to this match if you live in Athens. Like, really support this team because Angelopolo has done the best he can. Um... You know, you can't sit there and run a business and keep taking losses, financial losses, meaning um, lost big over the weekend against Panathinaikos. But honestly, even though it was a bad loss, I think we ended up losing by 24 points. Uh, Panathinaikos, as far as I could gather from listening to some basketball news in Greece, Panathinaikos is, uh, has really stepped up their game the past uh, month or so. Um really looking more like the Panathinaikos of old. So that, I mean, it's not a, it's when you're, when your budget, when your when your competition is so much better, there's only so much you can do. Um, they kept up with it. I think for like three quarters, you know, they were hovering around that 10, 12 point deficit. Panathinaikos was leading Ike. And then I think in the fourth quarter, they just blew it wide open. But um, I'll report back next week, especially after the Garcia match. Let's see what happens there. Um, as more news comes in about these new bans, um, they've been talking about in the Greek media that Ike has been hit with. Uh, you know, it's just, it's Ike basketball. Yes, it might not have the the, the titles, unfortunately, and in the, in the, I don't want to say the prestige, because, like I said, the EuroLeague has bastardized everything. Um, it, it might not have that in the past 20, 25 years, what Olympiacos and Panathinaikos have and what they've meant to, to Greek basketball. But it, it all started with Ike. It all started with 1968. A lot of people want to say, oh, the, the start of Greek basketball was the 85 European Championship. That's not true. It started with Ike basketball, 1968. We were the first Greek club to win a European trophy in a in a uh, in a major team sport, and that's that's something no one will ever take away from us. Anyway, guys, let me stop boring you. Sorry, this episode went a lot longer than what I was expecting. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Hope everyone enjoys the World Cup final. If you're watching, if you're not, completely understand. Kio pospanda forza e kara pediaketa teksanapume.